This is a Federal News Network podcast. The IRS is asking Congress for another $4 billion to implement the Taxpayer First Act and to overhaul the agency's public-facing services. Now, this comes as the National Taxpayer Advocate details how the agency's struggling with the budget it's already got. IRS personnel answered only 24% of taxpayer calls during fiscal 2020, and callers waited on hold for an average of 18 minutes. For more on where the IRS can step up its service to the public, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the former National Taxpayer Advocate, now the Executive Director of New America's Center for Taxpayer Rights, Nina Olson. The IRS touts its level of service on the phones, which understandably this year was very difficult because they weren't telework enabled, even if they were supposed to be in the call centers, you would want them telework enabled because of an emergency. And the pandemic really highlighted that they weren't telework enabled. I mean, it's astonishing that a tax system would have on its website, don't call us. And so now many people are telework enabled so that they can answer the calls. But there what you need to look at is of all the tens of millions of calls, you know, 100 million calls, well, however many calls that the IRS get every single year, what percentage of them do they actually answer? And it's in the 20s. 20%. And the IRS says, well, we've gated people to automated calls, but the IRS doesn't know whether people really want to go to the automated calls. It's just that depending on the button you push, you get put there. If you say, I want information about X, and the IRS has programmed the system to say, well, X goes to automation, that's where you go. And so then you have to call back because that's not where you wanted to go, which just creates more of a cue for the calls. And they really need to stop that. They need to really pay attention to what taxpayers want rather than what the IRS wants them to want. And I know that they want very much to build their online account system to peel off some of the calls, which makes sense. But at the same time that they're doing that because of the security needs for the IRS, you know, to make sure that nobody's hacking into the system, very few people actually can create an online account because you have to have all sorts of financial accounts and other information in order to be able to pass their authentication. So it's almost like you have to really keep a robust phone system available, even as you're trying to build this digital system. And at the same time, you know, as I've tried to say over and over again, the IRS is not like an airline. It's not like ordering on Amazon. If you get a notice from the IRS, you may not want to talk to the IRS, but you need to talk to the IRS. You're not comfortable leaving it to some chat that you might get the correct answer because if you don't really connect with a human being and make sure they're entering the right information into the system, you know, bad things could really happen to you. And so I just think that they have to really think carefully about the need for personal contact with taxpayers, person-to-person contact, and usually that's the phone. You know, you can do things virtually, digitally. People are much more comfortable, you know, doing things through Zoom, et cetera. And that may be possible for compliance checks or setting up appointments, for example, to talk to someone about your collection problems. Those sorts of things are really exciting for the future. But the underlying assumption is that person-to-person contact, not automated contact, is important. And I really want to see that in the IRS's plans for the future, not undermining that personal connection.
that really shines a light on why the customer experience dialogue that's filtered yep. down from industry isn't a one-to-one exactly. But let me circle back actually to a point you had made about the ongoing IRS IT modernization push. Just to drill down into that a little bit further, what are you seeing from that IT modernization plan that would give the IRS a better big picture view of a taxpayer's journey going through and trying to get help from the agency? Well, you know, the main thing that is missing from the IRS is any kind of database that contains a 360 degree view of the taxpayer's experience and interactions with the IRS. At its last count, although there have been many different counts, there were 60 major databases inside the IRS that contains information about the taxpayer, and that's both business and individual. There are many more smaller ones that contain bits and pieces about the taxpayer, and there's and only bits and pieces of that information actually gets rolled up into the system called IDRS, which is what most people key off of when looking at what is the status of the taxpayer's issues. And so, and also only parts of that get rolled into the master file, which is the official record of the taxpayer's account. So you may not know what's really going on with that taxpayer over in collection. You may not have bits and pieces of information when you're trying to select an account to be audited. You may not have the full picture of that taxpayer, which would say, oh, I don't need to worry about this taxpayer. I need to look at this other taxpayer. The example that I give, it's sort of like a kaleidoscope, you know, with all those little bits and pieces of glasses. They're all little bits and pieces of information. And if you just, you know, when you look through the kaleidoscope, you see one pattern. But if you just turn it a tiny little fraction along the dial, all those pieces of glass fall into a different way and it will give you a different picture of that taxpayer. And the IRS is operating somewhat blind because it can't see all that information and then decide how to proceed with that taxpayer as opposed to the next taxpayer. And until it gets that, you know, it has very, when it has its audit rates, it has very high no change audit rates, meaning that it spent its valuable audit resources to audit someone that you shouldn't have been auditing. You know, that's like some of the downstream consequences of that. You know, if it looked at the taxpayer's information, it may realize that this taxpayer has no ability to pay a tax debt. Why are you going after someone trying to get blood from a stone when there's someone else who might have the ability to pay and you should spend your precious resources on that person or entity? And the IRS is trying to create an enterprise case management system that part of that would be pulling that information together in some kind of way so you could see a full picture of the taxpayer. That is going to take years, and they have been working on it since 2015 when I was there, and they took over an effort that we had for a case management system and tasks. They sort of incorporated it into their enterprise effort, and we still don't have an enterprise case management system. So now people are really realizing how vital the IRS is. You know, you've really got to build up and give it more resources, both on the taxpayer service side and in some of its audit and collection activity. And then separate from that, 
is the IT, and I think there the IRS is still struggling under the shadow from the 90s, where it was given a significant amount of money, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, and it blew it. And there, to me, is where oversight of the IRS really comes in. And this is what Congress did in the Taxpayer First Act, is that you require the IRS to deliver to Congress plans. What are its plans for IT? What are its plans for customer satisfaction? What are its plans for modernizing the agency? What are its plans for training its employees? And the IRS delivered those plans. So now Congress has a chance to look at that and say, this gives us confidence or actually it doesn't give us confidence. You know, either we need more detail or we don't think you've articulated a clear enough vision. Nina Olson is the executive director of New America Center for Taxpayer Rights, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffles Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at GrifflesPlasma.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.